Good morning, Christ Church. Good morning. I'm excited to welcome Bishop Trevor Walters this morning and introduce him to many of you, or to some of you. Many of you know him already. He's with us today to preach and to lead us in receiving and confirming those candidates who are coming forward to join the Anglican Communion and be part of Christ Church in that way and confirm their faith. And some of you remember uh, Bishop Trevor was with us a few months ago for the Healing Our Wounds seminar where he led us in a, in a deep dive looking at the ways and areas that God wants to restore and make us whole and care for our wounds and our hurts from our upbringing and our past and also in areas of burnout related to work and external affirmation. Um, so he, this is one of his areas of expertise is uh, around, around our uh, clergy wellness in particular and also just conflict mediation and uh, helping people sort through those kinds of problems. And, and we're just thankful to have him with us, especially as Bishop Todd, our bishop, is on sabbatical. So I want to invite Bishop Trevor to come forward and I'm going to pray for him as he uh, brings the word to us this morning. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful to have Bishop Trevor with us for who he is and how he has already blessed and served our congregation in ministering to us recently, continuing to minister to us today. Pray, Lord, that you would speak in your word through him to us, and particularly, God, to those who are being received and confirmed this morning. We pray and trust this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's wonderful to be here. It's great to be here at the morning service. And uh, now in the afternoon, it's good to be, <laughs> good to be here too. Um, uh, I was talking to Bishop Todd uh, some months ago and said to him, Bishop Todd, I do think you need to be on sabbatical. Uh, you need to recover. Uh, and uh, he turned around and said, well, would you do clergy care then? So how could I say no? <laughs> so I'm here in a physical, official capacity doing clergy care for Bishop Todd. But I'm thrilled to be back. It's a, it's a joy. It was a very special weekend for me being with you in February. Um, so here we are. I like to preach from the lection of the day, which is a good discipline. Um, otherwise, you just, you just repeat the three sermons you have. Uh, in diff oh, you've noticed that. Oh, so which one is it? Is it, is it Bill or Chris? Or, uh, no, no. You can tell me afterwards. So in order to prevent that, um, you, you get stretched by the lections. So um, I read in preparation a couple of weeks ago, 1 Kings 19, 450 prophets of Baal put to death, 400 prophets of Asherah put to death, uh, there must be a connection to confirmation somewhere. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to try to make a link between um, 1 Kings 19 and a follow-up to the work we did on burnout and uh, a movement towards um, what it means to be confirmed. Well, you know, of course, that Elijah is the poster boy for burnout. So that helps, you see. <laughs> There's the connection. Um, uh, so we'll get to that in a minute. Now, you need some context to the passage that we read. Uh, and the context is that the, the Jewish community is experiencing 
an unhelpful marriage to the culture. They're getting drawn into the culture and the gods of the culture, and particularly the Canaanite gods, uh, and their god was called Baal, and Baal was the god of, this is very important because it will come back and bite you in a minute, the god of rain, wind, and lightning. Yeah, some of you who are Bible scholars are already beginning to say, oh, I know what he's going to do with that. <laughs> and you're probably right. So we have this um, worship of Baal and uh, the worship of Yahweh and, and that tension in the, in the culture. I think that's uh, happening today. The church is marrying the culture and... Uh, uh, and Worshipping the gods that are out there. Now, sometimes that's, it's called syncretism when you marry the culture. Sometimes that blatant syncretism is there. For instance, a couple of hundred years ago, um, the Masons developed a faith system uh, which expected you, if you got really high up, 32nd order, to make a commitment to Yabulon. Yabulon. And those three segments are, of course, you guessed the first one, Yahweh, conventional faith. Uh, bull is, this, is, the key, is the word for Baal, the actual word for Baal. And On is Orosis, the Egyptian god of the underworld. So there we have a, a marrying of the culture. So we've got the worship of Yahweh and the worship of Baal just a couple of hundred years ago. Um, so uh, you might say, well, this worship of Baal, there's no sign of it in this culture. Or you have to be English or British to know that, in fact, the worship of Baal is very prevalent. On a summer's day, particularly an Englishman, would spend eight hours watching two bales on top of three stumps. And it's called cricket. <laughs> and life revolves around who the best bowler is and who the best batsman is and the score. And instead of going to church, an Englishman will watch cricket. And you say, well, yes, that's, those English people are... Weird, and we know that. <laughs> but in North America, uh, particularly if you've got a Texan accent, you watch football. <laughs> and the same worship applies. And if you're not watching football, you're, uh, you're taking your automobile outside <laughs> and you're polishing it and, and, and worshipping it and telling the neighbor about what a wonderful automobile you have. <laughs> now, for some, of course, you're not into anything like that. You, you, you have a dream that you might hear wedding bells one day. <laughs> you, do you know, this congregation is responding much better than the first congregation. <laughs> Did somebody warn them about the jokes and tell them to laugh? Well, this is promising so far. 
Keep it up. We will go far. All right. So the worship of Baal is a real thing. We set something else in the place of God, and we give our love and our passion and our desire and our time and our money towards that thing. That's the worship of Baal. So um, you need to get the backstory prior to 1 Kings 19 so that you can make sense of what, where we are in the, in the narrative. So uh, Elijah has gone to King Ahab, married to Jezebel, and said to Ahab, now, Ahab, there's going to be a drought. You might relate to that here. Um, there's going to be a drought, and it won't rain until I tell it to rain. <laughs> That's quite a lot of faith. But do you see the in-your-face challenge to the Canaanite gods? They're the god of rain. And Ahab is saying, I, uh, my god determines rain, not your god. And so for nearly three years, it hadn't rained. And, and uh, Elijah, is, his reputation has gone downhill. Uh, it's gone uphill as a prophet and, and downhill as someone who's causing the nation extreme difficulty. And so when, in fact, um, uh, Elijah comes back to Ahab and says, um, you better get your chariot off the mountain. It'll get stuck in the mud. Ahab says, what are you talking about, you troubler of Israel? <clears throat> uh, because there's no sign of rain at this moment. Uh, but you see, if you have a prophetic gifting, you see things which other people don't see. And so he sent his servant, uh, Elijah sent his servant up the top of the mountain to look for rain. And seven times he came down and says, there's not a cloud in the sky. It's not going to rain. And the last time he goes up, he comes back and says, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. As if to say, and what good is that going to do? And Elijah says, well, good. The rain is coming. And again, a prophetic gifting sees in those things that other people wouldn't relate to because they have the eyes to see what God is doing. Now, um, Elijah challenges Ahab and Jezebel who had the 400 prophets of uh, Asherah to a duel on Mount Carmel. And so uh, Elijah says, now look, you Canaanite Baal-worshipping people uh, build an altar on top of the mountain and call down rain. No, not rain. Uh, lightning. The other dynamic of the Canaanite God, you, you, you bring down fire, and, um, and I will do the same. And whichever God actually brings the fire, we will know that that is the God who should be worshipped. So by noon, because the, um, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 Asherah prophets get the first whack at the, at the burning thing, um, they, they've been at it since dawn, and it's now noon, and it's not going well. Nothing's happening. 
And um, Elijah, uh, you see his carnality, his human uh, nature, bad human nature, creeping out because now he's going to mock them. And so he says to them, um, in all seriousness, you know, well, maybe uh, your God has gone on a journey uh, and he'll be coming back shortly. Uh, or, or maybe he's gone to pee. That's an English expression. <laughs> I'm not going to explain that one. Um, uh, or, or, and, um, and they get more and more upset and, and they start to actually cut themselves out of trying to do something to beg their God to respond. And nothing happens. And eventually it's recognized that this, this Baal God is never going to respond. And so Elijah prepares his altar. And he invites people to come and throw water on it. Have you been camping recently? I was camping in the Atlantic Ocean on some islands uh, kayaking uh, two weeks ago. And the wood was so damp. Um, we, we had to sort of find ways to dry it so that we could actually get something to light. I'm glad we didn't take Elijah with us. I, can you imagine a camper throwing water on the fire you're trying to start? I mean, you do that at the end, trying to put the thing out. Um, I mean, isn't that extraordinary faith? It reminds me of Abraham who says... You know, to, to Lot, uh, you choose which direction you want to go in. My God is capable of providing for me. And so, you know, Lot goes in the direction that looks good. And, and Abraham has to go in the other direction, which is the promised land, of course. <laughs> um, when you've got faith, you don't have to give God a hand. You don't have to make it easier for God you just declare the direction that you know God is called. See, let's say you're called to serve God in a particular ministry. Or you've got a vision for a ministry. And, um, and you feel as though you need to give God a hand. I had this conversation with my... I may have mentioned this last time I was here, but I had the conversation with my 17-year-old, who was 17 then. He's a lot older now. Um... um and I'd let my name go forward to uh, the position of the Bishop of Calgary. And Mark said to me, Dad, you don't need to help God to enable your ministry to happen. And I withdrew the application because I knew that I was trying to give God a help to open a door. Now, it turned out I did have a calling, but I had my timing very badly off. And my faith wasn't where it needed to be. And so, giving God a hand. Elijah doesn't need to give God a hand. He knows, he trusts that what God's purpose for his life will be fulfilled. And all he has to do is to let God be God. And I want to suggest that the pre-confirmation and post-confirmation... Pre-confirmation is you have a ministry, which is your ministry, and you're trying to make it happen. And post-confirmation, 
You are the temple of the Holy Spirit in whom God dwells, in whom God flows through, and it, all you have to do is open the door of your heart or your mind, and God will flow through uh, with his spirit and accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Just listen to the language of Elijah prior to this seminal moment under the broom brush. Prior to that, he is saying, I, even I, only am left. Uh, and I am the servant of the Lord. Well, there's a lot of I's in that sentence. There's a lot of me in that sentence. Um, and Elijah has taken the responsibility to reveal God to the world. Well, that sounds pretty good. Except that that's too much above his pay grade. That's too much responsibility. His job is to let God work through him, which is peaceful, which is without great responsibility. He could actually enjoy doing what he's doing at the, you know, during this experience of letting God work through him, rather than it looks so arduous that no one would ever want to go into ministry. So, God answers by fire on Elijah's altar. And I don't know whether it was lightning or what it was, but it may have been lightning. And so the Canaanite gods are, the gods of Baal are knocked out. They are, the, the, the power of a god who could control rain, wind, and lightning has just been nullified on the mountain. But there's rain, wind, and lightning inside of Elijah that needs to be nullified. You know where I'm going. So let's get him burnt out before we resurrect him. So we've got to get him burnt out. So uh, he's finished this dramatic moment on top of the mountain. The rain comes. He runs down the mountain, an 18-mile journey to Bathsheba. And the next day, he runs again, another day's journey beyond Bathsheba, leaving his servant behind and arrives under a broom brush, utterly depleted. He's physically spent. He's emotionally exhausted from this conflict with the Canaanite Baal gods and this great moment of God answering by fire. Spiritually, his faith is exhausted and used up in this duel. So we're describing the symptoms of burnout. Physical, emotional, spiritual exhaustion. Then we add to that now isolation because he leaves his servant and goes another day's journey, which is the exact opposite thing you do when you're trying to recover from burnout. You know how uh, the military has learned to help dealing with burnout, and that is you team up and talk it out. So PTSD is best dealt with by talking about your experience. 
And Elijah does the exact opposite. He, doesn't, he talks to himself about his experience. I find when I talk to myself about my experience, I get very bad answers. <laughs> it, it, I, I rarely do I help myself. I usually just make it worse when I talk to myself. So he goes a day's journey, and he slumps under the broom bush, and the, that, that line is, I am no better than my father's. Take away my life, for I deserve to die. So what do we have in that line? I am no better than my father's. You think he thought he was better than his father's? I think so. <laughs> I think he had a massive ego and pride, which was driving him. He had to be better than everybody. Well, I didn't use the three letters that are on the book in the first sermon, so I won't this sermon, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you wonder about what was driving him. He had to be better than his father's. That sounds like the opposite of grace, doesn't it? Sounds like conditional acceptance. Well, now we get to see how God deals with someone who's burnt out. Oh, well, there's one more thing about the symptoms of burnout. Uh, when you're burnt out, it's, it, you, some of you wouldn't remember this at all, but in the, in the old days, uh, record players had the stylus. And, and if you were unlucky, the stylus got stuck in the tract, track. And so it would keep playing the same few notes over and over again. That's Elijah. The, the stylus is stuck. And so he keeps saying, I only am left and they've torn down your altars and broken your covenants and killed the prophets and I only am left and he cannot get out of that track but look how God deals with him when he uh, when God says to him well first of all God feeds him and gives him sleep first two treatments of burnout lots of sleep lots of eating I, I, if I'm away uh, somewhere and my wife's in Phoenix and I call her just before supper, what are you having for supper? Oh, a peanut butter sandwich. No, you can't do that. That's not good for you. <laughs> good nutrition, good sleep is essential to stave off burnout. But it goes well beyond that in the recovery, doesn't it? So one of God's ways of dealing with Elijah is to say to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? That's a great question. If someone's really burnt out, one of the best questions you can say to someone is, what is your plan to get out of this hole? Because they need to be able to say, I don't have one. Or they might say, well, I'm going to keep doing the same thing with the hope that it'll result in a different... Mm, yeah. What are you doing? You need to ask the question of how you are planning to get out of this mess before you provide them with how you think they should get out of this mess. 
because they will reject it on principle. They will fight you the moment you've offered uh, an alternative. And so God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And of course, we know what's happened. The record player plays again the same track over and over again. And God doesn't say, doesn't argue with him, doesn't even acknowledge what he just said. <laughs> he, he just says to him, well, okay, your job is to go to Mount Horeb. You've got to go on retreat to the mountain of God. Um, you, uh, you need to go back to the cross. And so Elijah goes back to the mountain of God where he once was. And isn't it amazing what happens in the, in the cave on the mountain? All these powerful, dynamic things keep rattling past his screen at the front of his cave the wind moment, the earthquake moment, the fire moment. And, and each time the scripture says, and God was not in the wind. He was not in the fire. He was not in the earthquake. Elijah has, in a sense, he's so tensed up that, that God has to answer so dramatically every time. And that's, that's, a, that's a moment which has now to be unraveled, uncoiled, and so that God doesn't need to respond dramatically. Um, you know, I, I remember talking to someone and they, I said to them, what, what, what are you planning to do next? And they just planted a church. Well, I plan to plant five in the next 10 years. <sighs> uh, well, that might be good. <laughs> it might not. <laughs> We may be burying you in ten. Um, so there's a sense in which if you keep upping the, the expectations for your life, you can get yourself in trouble. And so God de-escalated all of that. You will, when you know you're hearing the voice of God, which is a whisper, you know that your emotions have come back to baseline. And, and Elijah hears the whisper of God and God speaks to him. And God says to him, now, Elijah, uh, you've, he doesn't, the scripture doesn't say this. I'm, I'm putting an extra line in. You've been doing your ministry and it's all about you. And now I've got a ministry for you. I want you to go and anoint Jehu, king of Jerusalem, uh, uh, Hazrael, king of Israel, and Elisha to be your um, deputy. And he is commissioned for building God's kingdom. And I think that's what these confirmation candidates are saying today, is we have maybe had a ministry to this point. We may have uh, done a whole bunch of stuff. And but right now, we want to go back to that place where we acknowledge that we are the temple of the Spirit and it's God's flowing through me out to the world that is going to transform the world. It's where people sense the Spirit of God speaking. That's what's going to change and transform and heal. Um, not where someone is ramping up the volume or, or the rhetoric 
um, but quietly speaking the word of God, knowing that that word of God is very powerful. So, um, when I come to lay hands on people, which will happen very soon, um, uh, you've got cards in front of you, and I'm going to be making mental notes of what I think the God is saying to these candidates after I finish the formal prayer. And then afterwards, I'd like to see the candidates so I can share with them what I think I heard from God. And would you do the same with me? Would you write down on on these cards in front of you what you think God is saying to these people? If you're concerned that you may have got it wrong from God and that that it, it might be crazy what you heard, then don't give it to the candidate. Uh, give it to Father Bill, and he can decide whether it's crazy or not. (laughs) And that will protect the candidates from craziness. (laughs) Uh, That's important, because people can get this stuff wrong. I get it wrong. And so you don't say, this is the word of the Lord. Um... You're getting married next Wednesday. <laughs> you may have got that wrong. It may have been Tuesday, but that's, that's, you never give a prophecy like that. Um, but you, you, the ones that are risky, give, give to Father Bill, and he will discern what to do with them. This is going to be a wonderful moment because God gets to speak. Amen.